podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Midweek Fix with me, Jamie Home. I hope you're all keeping well and enjoying the feast of football that's on at the moment. But if you're not, well, at least it's keeping us busy until the mighty Reds are back in action soon. Now, tonight, the show's going to be called Top Fives, which I'll explain in a minute. But before I do, delighted to say joining me tonight, we have Gav, Shawnee, and making his Trippers debut, we have Mick from the Tactical Times. Mick, great to have you with us. How are you, mate? Very well, my friend. Very well. Thank you for having me on. Big fan. Our, our pleasure, our pleasure. Now, before we get into tonight's show, um, I'm interested to, to kind of go around the room quickly just to see how you're all finding the Euros. As from a personal perspective, I've never really been a massive fan of international football, but I have to say I've been pleasantly surprised with the game so far. Gav, what have you uh, what have you made of the games? I haven't seen a second of it. Thanks, mate. That's great. Right, moving on to Shawnee. <laughs> You've not watched any of the games? No, I've seen two incidents. One was obviously the unfortunate thing with Ericsson which was on Twitter and it just came up on the feed and I think it quickly disappeared and quite rightly. And the second one was um, when the Scotland goalkeeper went for his big shop and your man <laughs> kicked it in from 60 yards and I haven't seen anything else. And it's not me being edgy or, you know, international football, this or international football. It's just, I just don't have time to watch it. And, and that's genuinely between family and work. I just have not got near it. Like games at two o'clock, games at five o'clock, not a chance. Games at eight o'clock, maybe. But sometimes I end up in front of this computer and I just get lost. Um, by the time I know it, Shani's telling me Locatelli's the next coming of Maradona. And I go, yeah, that's great. Um, I'll go with Shani. I'll, I'll trust Shani on this. Dino Baggio is the show I, I see. <laughs> The, the perfect segue to Shawnee, because Shawnee, you're, you went to a game in the week. Uh, you went to see Spain yeah. versus Sweden. How was that first of a, as a spectacle? And then how what have you made of the tournament so far? It's been the only nil all of the tournament so far. But to be honest with you, the game didn't lack quality at all. Um, it was a brilliant watch. Like I don't want to sound like a purist or anything like that, because at the end of the day, it was nil all. But... The way Spain were moving the ball around, like, unbelievable. So many standout players. And then you're seeing today we are linked with that lad, Isak. Um, and you can see why, because he was quality. And he was literally the only bit of quality that Sweden had. And he nearly won them the game. Like, he, he caused you'd, be, you'd be raging after that brilliant little skill. And, uh, yeah, the that he did, and then he rolled, rolled it in and then the guy ballooned it. You'd be fuming if you were him. And the best thing about it was, Jamie, it was just great to be in... That environment, like there was twenty thousand people there, um, I was I was a bit skeptical about how it was going to play out, like going into the stadium and that with COVID and everything. But I have to say, it was well well handled. It was brilliant. The experience was flawless uh, going into the ground. And to be honest with you, the fact that there was only twenty thousand in the stadium, it made it louder. If you know what I mean, like they, they were, because they were using the seats as drums in front of them, the Spanish fans, and they were just banging them. For ninety minutes, um, it was great. The only just the only lack of the goal scorer really, Morata being poison, but nothing new there. Uh, there was a few eyebrows about um, Enrique's selection. In fairness, I was coursing him when I seen the lineup because Thiago only got a half an hour. But my God, when he came on, it was just the game just went into a different gear altogether. And you could just see it's ridiculous the level. 
that they're at when you're when you're watching it in person you see the little details and just not taking any touches the way they moved the ball around the park it was unbelievable few of them really uh no they didn't that's they didn't that's not true the, the Spanish media didn't rip into Diago. The only one that the Spanish media are completely different to the English media, actually. Um, whereas they're trying to tend to focus on the, the positives. They were all talking about that young lad, Pedri, from um, from Barcelona and how good he was. They didn't really detract from the, from the result. Because people people seem to forget, like everyone, is, me included, everyone's going on about like how good Italy have looked. International tournaments is not about playing well. That's what I don't get. People don't understand this. When Spain won the World Cup, they lost that first game. They were beaten by Switzerland. And I think at the right times. They won five games, one nil, Jamie. Mm -hmm. And it's probably arguably the best international side ever with all the quality that they had. They won five games, one nil. Like, that's what it's all about. And that's what people are writing England off and everyone else off. You don't have to play well to win international tournaments, you just have to win. And that's all you have to do. You just have to win. That's what it's all about. Now, there's two quick things that I, that I want to touch on before uh, before we dive into the show. And I'll come to you um, uh, on the next one, Mick. And it's something that I tweeted about yesterday. And look, I've been massively um, against VAR and it's kind of uh, how it's been used in the Premier League. One thing that, st- that stood out for me in the Euros is the fact that the standard of the refereeing seems much higher and VAR doesn't seem to infringe on the game nearly as much as it does in the Premier League. What have you made of that? And is it just is it just highlighting the fact that we've got it very, very wrong in the Premier League? Yes, well, I'm outspokenly against it in general, to be honest. I'm not a fan of VAR in any shape or form, especially in the Premier League. But if there is an improvement in the Euros, and I'm with Gav, I've barely watched it, so I'm not a great person to refer to for decisions made in that tournament. But in Champions League, is far better. And in the Europa League, it's far better. And it's just because of the quality of the referees, I think. We've got this boys club uh, within Stockley Park. We've got people who aren't wanting to over, you know, undermine their mates, who aren't willing to um, to sort of expose the real problems that we've instigated. We're happy to change rules halfway for a season, but that still doesn't seem to help. I don't know if there is any improvement, but it certainly seems like there is one. And if that's the case, it's because we just have some awful awful referees in England, I think. And that's where the, the root of the problem is. Gav, the, the lines, sorry. I know that they brought in this new, well, they're planning on bringing in this thicker line through. I don't know what that's going to do, but I don't have very much hope, to be honest. Gav, you've been, uh, you've been very outspoken on, on VAR and I want to get your thoughts on, on, uh, on obviously the, the thicker lines, but then the second topic that uh, has, has kind of reared its head today is Rafa Benitez. Um, so your, uh, so your kind of interpretation of the fact that the referees seem to be much stronger, uh, versus the Premier League and then your reaction to Rafa, please. The ticker lines thing made me laugh. I'm being honest <laughs> with you because you can't make one ticker and one not. You know, so they're both going to be the same thickness. They're just going to be thicker than what you've seen before, and they're going to start at the same points that they've picked before. So they're, they're doing nothing, in, um, unless somebody can tell me different and tell me what are you talking about. But if they're making both lines thicker, they're going to start them at the same points that they've all started at, and all it's going to show is you a thicker line, and it's going to infuriate you more because the line is bigger on the screen. Um, listen, like Mick said, 
Stockley Park and everything else. You look at your, you look at Champions League. You look at what's going on now in the in the Euros. And I haven't seen any of the Euros, but I haven't seen anything about VAR on Twitter or social media. And usually it blows up over the smallest thing with regards to VAR because they have a process that referees, assistants, people watching on cameras, wherever it might be, they all buy in and they all they all do their job and make the decision. In England, that's not the case. You know, as Mick said, they're covering for mates. They're you know they're sending them over to, to TV screens and. You know the decisions is made, and it, listen, just we'll get back into it in August because I'm sure, uh, like I, I'm, it's cast iron that in the first couple of weeks of next season we're going to be having a meltdown of some sort over something that's happened in VAR because all the lines are thicker. You, you are all fucking thick, and um, just go and do your job. You know what I mean? But it, it, it's one of those things that we just need to go. It, it's it's refreshing to have a tournament where I'm not online and. There's just madness. It just seems to be, oh, they made a decision. It's done. Great. Um, but look, once you have those set of referees in there and the, the, their steadfast resi- resistance to the actual process, you're, you're pissing up against the wall. You're pissing against the wind. You really are. That's, that's the truth. With, with regards to Rafa Benitez, um, I don't know what he's at. I'm, I, don't, <laughs> I think it's a brilliant appointment by Everton if they get him. Don't get me wrong. I think he's brilliant, but I don't know what he's at. Um, you know, I look at that and I think, would he get on with the ownership? Because that's always the first question when it comes to Rafa after his last couple of jobs. You know, I think, I, I think with the right environment, Benitez could do great things, um, even at Everton. But Everton fans must be don't know where to go. So, you know, they're, they're caught between a rock and a hard place now. You know, they're getting a really, really good manager, but it's Rafael Benitez. I think it's going to damage his, his legacy at Liverpool um, massively. Um, but I think what, what will help him is he's, he's I think he's well-loved in the city of Liverpool for what he's done for the city of Liverpool um, and, and the way he loves the place and, and stuff like that. But I don't know what he's at. I really don't. Um, I, if he sits tight for three months, he gets a better job than everything for me. Yeah, it's a, it's a strange one. I, I'm kind of similar to, to you. I was surprised, not by Everton approaching him, because I actually think it's quite a smart move by Everton, given some of the people that they were linked to and, and kind of where they're at as a club. Um, I just think that Rafa is going to go quite a long way to damaging his, his legacy with the, the Liverpool fans. Shawnee, where do you sit on this one? I'm impartial to it. Everton don't bother me at all, to be honest with you. That Everton are so... What's the word I'm looking for? They just they don't bother me at all. That they, they're just there, and I think I'm I'm the opposite of Gav. I don't think it is a good appointment. I think Benitez is finished as a manager. To be honest with you, um, you look Bruce basically got the same points out with Newcastle as he did in his fourth season there. Um, the Everton are just irrelevant. I think it says more about them going for him than. Uh, him going oh, oh, football there's no place for sentiment in football he, when he took the Chelsea job that that should have been clearer than anything um, I don't know I, I, it doesn't bother me at all a couple of bad results there and they will absolutely hound him out of there because of who he is like you need to remember this is the same set of fans who are actually talking themselves around to Steven Gerrard being the manager a couple of weeks ago in forums and stuff like that. So they're just shameless. They're a shameless gang of tramps, to be honest with you. So <laughs> let them matter. That's that's just how I feel about it. Call me anti-everything I am. I don't like them at all. They're inoffensive. That's the word I'm looking for. Inoffensive. So no matter who takes over there, they'll always be everything. 
and that's just the way they are for me. I don't mean to sound like high horse FC here, but they just it is what it is, isn't it? Like I they could have. He could spend his money. I think that he could spend their money a lot wiser than than other. But it wouldn't people. be hard, Gav. Wouldn't be hard. No, I know. Like, I know, you know it what I mean. Be hard, but but the problem he's going to have there is, is that you know. Under Silva, they were like, "Oh, we play good Think football." Martinez oh. the same. You look at you look at Ancelotti, they're like, "Oh, we're, we're, we're building this and we're building that." Like, you're right. Four or five bad results, and they'll absolutely go for him. And then what will happen is Benitez will go into a shell, and he go out with mad defensive formations with Calvert Lewin playing centre midfield, and he'd be the fourth man forward for seventy to eighty minutes, and then they try win a game, and they'll they'll they'll, they'll implode. They'll self combust, but that's what they do. Like they ha- the thing is, Gav, right? The reason they love the Ancelotti was because it was the only semblance the club has had to be in any way sort of lee in the last two decades. So that's why, like, if there's crowds in the ground, Ancelotti's probably gone in February. That's just the way it is because mm. he look where he ended up. Look at the money they've spent. They haven't even qualified for Europa League football. I don't think. Since Bosheri came in with the money he spent. What's par for Everton next year? They're not gonna break into the top seven. Mm. I'd say so, I'd say so I'd, between seventh and tenth. Exactly, Gab. So is, like you said, Benitez would have been better off taking the Celtic job. That's the god honest truth. Because at the end know, of the I just, day, I think it's a strange one for him. I, I understand the wife. I him understand why he took it. He loves Liverpool, he loves the city. Mm. I know I don't tarnishing his legacy, I don't think it will. Because at the end of the day, it'll still be Rafa, the fella who won number five in Istanbul, who's always spoke so fondly about the club since he's left. He said on MNF that he'd never turn down the Everton job. Yeah. He said he wouldn't turn it down. It's, it's a fella playing his trade. It's, that's, that's all it is. It doesn't bother me in the slightest. If he was still a top manager, maybe, yeah, I'd be worried. But I don't think he is. I think... I think everything I've made another stupid decision trying to look like a big club. I think that's that's and it's gonna come back and bite them again. Everything need a restart. They need a refresh. They needed a new now. They needed look there I say it, an Eddie Hell or a Graham Potter. Someone to just that's what they need. They need to realise that level. They need to stop trying to be Carlo Ancelotti. He'll go back to Madrid now and he'll be grand there. He's, he I, I can see, I can see the dogs of war stuff being brought up again, Jamie. I can. You remember, do you remember the dogs of war under Joe Royal and and you know they used to go out and they had no interest in playing football. Just, I, I used to hate that period because yeah. that's when we always used to lose, and <laughs> that was when yeah, I was living because, back at home and surrounded by blues. Yeah, because Liverpool, <laughs> Liverpool had no balls at the time. But yeah. I can see that coming back, you know, because they they. What I can see happening is I can see Everton actually coming around to this, and then. When they see the style of play, they're gonna go. They're gonna latch onto this dogs of war stuff, and then if it goes well, great. If it doesn't go well, like I tell you, get, so, yourself, get yourself down to Goodison Park every week to watch yeah. this unfold. I think it'd be amazing. It'd be a volcano. It'll just be an yeah. eruption there. I reckon yeah. that's the way they are. That's the mentality. Of them look. Oh, Everton's two biggest highlights in the last decade have been injuring Liverpool players. Uh, Fiona's Mare and fucking Pickford. What happened at Goodison last year? That was about the, the strength of it. Look at how small time they are. They were jumping around the dressing room like they won a, to- a to- an FA Cup toward round toy when they beat us in Anfield. Like, this is what you're dealing with here. They don't call them bitter blue shy for nothing. Leave them, man. I don't care. We'd be, talking, we'd be laughing at them again come Christmas. And that's a fact. 
Now, Shawnee said something there, and it's the perfect segue, and I'm going to come to you, Gav, because we're going to start the, the, the actual show now, and that was there's no room for sentiment in football, right? Yeah. And the idea of tonight's show, so basically everybody um, has been has picked the topic themselves, um, and ultimately what they're going to do is talk us through their top fives in Liverpool history, uh, or one of the one of the topics isn't specifically related to Liverpool, so they're top fives, and they're going to to, to give us the list of uh, of their selections. So the first topic, and I'm going to come to you first, Gav, uh, very much around the line of there's no room for sentiment in football, and it's the top five transfers that broke your heart. So uh, if you could the talk packages. us. Departures, departures, departures my, okay, departures works as well. Uh, top it's five departures. Don't say transfers because there's there's one um there's one non-transfer in there. So, uh, yeah, it was it was a brutal afternoon for this <laughs> and uh, reliving it all. And, and, and you know, oh, let's let's make a top five, and then you look at that and you're going, oh, this is desperate. Um, but I, but I just picked it because I, I I thought lads might pick, you know, goals or whatever it might be, and I just thought I'd go for heartbreaking. For me, um, departures from the club, and I, I kind of, I put them in an order. So you want me to go from five down to one? Start with five to one, yeah. Oh, one okay. being the the one that broke your heart the most. Okay, so th- there's there's different levels of heartbreak on these, and and you know why why it affected me and why why it was sad for me. Number five is Luis Suarez, and you know, don't get me wrong, Luis Suarez, I'd be in the summer of 2013 is doing four page spreads in, in, in some newspaper about how, how he's being trapped at Liverpool and he's training with youngsters and or whatever. And then he goes and just does a madness for, for the next season. Um, but he leaves in the summer of 2014 after biting Chiellini, wasn't it? At the, yeah. at the World Cup in Brazil. And you know what? I was upset when he left because what a player, what a player. But it wasn't, it wasn't only because he, because of the player he was, it was because 13 14 was brilliant. Like, it's still up there. I think it's my second favourite season of all time. Just fully you know, embrace the madness. Can't defend, was, can, attack, was, can only attack. It was literally getting up on every match day and going, I haven't, we're in a title race, but I haven't got a fucking notion what's going to happen today. Like, <clears throat> and it all started with Arsenal at home. And I think about it being February. And I remember, I was nights at the time. I worked nights at the time and I think we played them early. It might have been 12 we played them at. Um, That's that right, half 12 and on a Saturday. The I got in from work at half seven and I got into bed at half seven and I said to my wife, wake me up. Just as it's kicking off, I literally come down the stairs and watch it and I literally sat with my eyes like, you know, like two piss holes in the snow. And I was like, what is going on here? And it was just insane. And people go on about the goals were brilliant and everything, but Suarez's volley, right? <laughs> Suarez's volley that nearly took... He, do you know what he wanted to... I, the, I think about that probably in. every three days. I probably yeah. think about that volley every three <laughs> days still and, to this day. It's like. the best goal I've ever seen. It's the best goal I've ever seen. And the thing is, like, you want about the Anfield Road being extended now and, and being knocked down. I just get Suarez there volleying balls at that Anfield Road and, and he knock it down. <laughs> He'll be down in no time. He hits it so pure that... Like, even the people behind the goal, even the Arsenal fans are like, you could just melt open as if what's going on. Then Carlo Torre misses the six yard follow up. <laughs> but it was just mental. Like, he, he starts the season, I think, on a four or five game ban and he comes yeah. back away at Sunderland and they're booing him and booing him. And at the time, Sunderland had big crowds and they're booing him and he just wipes the floor with him, him and Sturridge. And it was just a mad season. But you know what? It, it broke my heart that he left because of what the player he was, but also. 
because you knew Tordy and Fordy was amazing, but it was absolutely built on sand. Yeah. And he was the, probably the biggest element of it, just getting there. And you thought, if you got another season now, maybe, just maybe, we lose him in a year, but we can kind of make it a bit more of a solid structure and we can go from there. But it doesn't happen. He starts biting people in, in Brazil, <laughs> wasn't it? And then you're like, listen, he's out the dog. Good luck. You know, and we get ripped off on the price, in my opinion. But um, Lewis Suarez is number five. Um, number four is Steve McManaman. Um, again, what a player. Like, you know, I, I, I said last week on a show, I started watching Liverpool in 86. And McManaman turns up around 90, 91, I think. And he was just this gangly fellow with mad wavy hair. And he, he was about five stone wet through. And, but he, my God, could he dribble and he could move so fast with the ball. And he was good in tight areas. Not the best finisher. Not the best finisher at all. And, and that went on throughout his career. He probably, he got better as he went on. But I always thought McManaman. And when it came, I think he leaves in the summer of 98, I think. Um, yeah, I think it's 98, the summer of 98. And I always thought, if we could just keep him, because you had the nucleus of a really good side. And you see that going into 2001 then, where we win a treble. But McManaman was so good. He was so good. And it broke my heart when he left, I have to say, because I think he's a fantastic footballer. And you see the way he evolved when he went to Madrid. You know, he didn't play that flying winger. He, he kind of played that midfield. And he was so intelligent and he could go by people. And he wins two European Cups, I think, with Real Madrid. And, and a brilliant player. And I just thought when he left, you know, I could see why he left. You know, Liverpool weren't great. He, he had an offer there. I think he had an offer for from Barcelona. And he ends up going to Real Madrid. But you could see why he wanted to evolve his game. He wanted to progress and he couldn't see that at Liverpool and that's absolutely fair enough. But he goes away and look at the career he has and, and the medals he wins. But I really thought at the time uh, Steve McManaman was just, uh, it was just, a, and Paul Gormley's right, McManaman, not a great goal scorer, but a scorer of great goals. Two away at um, Newcastle, um, I always remember. Two the one away at Celtic and then I think he scored one at home to Villa which was pretty much identical where he just snaked in from the right and, and finished. Yeah. Do, you, do, you, do you blame him in any way for how he left, Gav? I mean, I know there was a lot of off the field stuff going on, but the fact that obviously the contract ran down and we didn't really get, you know, for a player that we've we've ultimately put a lot of time and I think they joined the club very early on and come come through the academy. Any any kind of shade thrown his way for the fact that we didn't really get uh, probably the the money that we probably deserve for a player of his quality? No, I don't really, Jamie. I'm being honest. Like, um, and people will probably say, yeah, but Michael Owen gets a lot. But Michael Owen told us for eighteen months he was signing the new deal and never did. You know, he constantly talked about it and never did. Um, but when McManaman, I could see, I could see where he was coming from. Like, if you look at Liverpool 97, 98, like, they weren't good, you know, and McManaman had aspirations. You, like, if you look at Euro 96, you know, he should have been the star of Euro 96 and, and he's probably looking at it going, World Cup 98, Euro 2000. He's looking towards all these things and, and how will, his club game affect his international prospects and stuff. I don't really throw a lot of shade at him. I think, it's just one of those that happened and, and he went off. But it, it upset me anyway. And I, I don't forgive him for upsetting me. But I, I, no, <laughs> Neither I, do I, Gav. Yeah, no, I, I don't. I, yeah, well, you shouldn't. You shouldn't um, forgive him either. Um, but no, I think that was, that was yeah, that was one that really kind of got me. Um, number three, Robbie Fowler. Um, the Leeds, was it? Yeah, Leeds in November two thousand and one. It's funny. It's funny that I know lads who start supporting Leeds when Robbie Fowler left. <laughs> no, they followed, they followed him, yeah, and yeah. they still follow Leeds to this day. He's still That's the best the truth. finisher I've ever seen. 
Yeah. And, and you know, we were having a chat in the WhatsApp group last night about, you know, Ronaldo, Messi, Ronaldinho, so, and they're all f- f- amazing footballers. But, you know, when I think of finishers, Fowler was just, he could, he could do anything. He could hit a pure, he could, he could scramble it across goal. He'd be in the six yard box, slide tackling goalkeepers. He, he was good in the air for a guy that wasn't the biggest. He was just so good. And, and like he, he comes on the scene 93 ish. And, you know, he has that five at Fulham and, you know, the hat trick against Arsenal, which was unreal. And just the goals he scored. Like he scores, he scores in the 96 FA Cup semi final uh, Old Trafford against Villa. We beat them 3 0. I think he gets two and Rush gets one. And the volley he gets. Was that, that's Old Trafford and we were in the green and yeah, white yeah. kick. And, and I think we're tuning up and the ball comes in the box and everyone's in the box and he just takes a step back to the corner yeah. of the box. It gets headed out. He just takes it on the chest and he just loops it. Bosnich just, I don't know what Bosnich is diving at because like he's not for the same stratosphere as this ball. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and you look at things like that. You look at the one against Villa where he does Staunton. You look at the headers against, um, Newcastle in those famous games. You know, you the one away in Europe where he flicks it over his head and, and runs onto it and, and scores. He was just such, such a fucking good player. I mean, when he leaves, I understand he had injuries and he wasn't, he was never lightning fast, but he, that bit of pace had gone and, you know, you could see it was affecting him, but still, when he left, I was going, that's Robbie Fowler, you know. I'm watching him since I'm 11 years of age, you know, and I'm now I'm 19, nearly 20. And it's just one of those, like, you always felt to be with you. And, yeah, that affected me. In a, I, I just in remember a seeing him in the Leeds kit and thinking how weird it looked for such a long period of time because I'd only ever seen him. I'd only obviously seen him in Liverpool kits and it took a while to, to get my head around. But I think I, I agree with you, Gav. I think the thing that stands with me about Fowler is... As he kind of his career progressed with Liverpool, he was never particularly blessed with pace, particularly as the years went on. But the quality of the goals, yeah. But he had that yard in his head because if you, even if you look back to, um, is it the first, maybe the second game? Again, it's the second game against Newcastle, and he's he's given one of their centre halves four or five yards of of a head start when the ball breaks to I think Redknapp, Hmm. and you just see him gone. Now he's not he's not beating the foot guy because he's pace. He's beating the guy because he's seen before he's the ball drops to the red nap. Yeah. He's gone. He's gone, and he knows. He just put that in there. And the thing about Fowler was his body position was so good that when he got in front of goal, right, he didn't mind, you know, lashing it with his right, left, bobbling it into the net, chipping a keeper. Think it didn't matter. All his thing was was he's going to get in front of a, a defender, and you weren't getting near him because he was comfortable. He was brilliant off his left, but he was comfortable on his right to do things, and that goal is. It, was never about pace. If you watch it back, it's never about pace. It's about the anticipation to say, when I get running, doesn't matter how fast you are, because once I get in front of you, you're not getting back. He was just so good. And when he left for Leeds, I was like, oh, fuck this. You know, the sort of way. And when he came back, I was fucking delighted. And he was never the same player, but it was like, still, it was Robbie Fowler at Anfield scoring goals, and, <laughs> and, and I loved him. Um, what am I down to three? Um, number two was Ian Rush, because, like I said, I watched Liverpool in 86, and soon after, Ian Rush goes off to Italy and I'm like, no, this isn't how it works. You know what I mean? And Ian Rush and at the time it was all VHS. I said this last week and when you got VHS to Liverpool, like it was just Ian Rush scoring goals. It was just Ian Rush scoring goals. And while Fowler was probably the most natural finish I've ever seen, Rush is probably the most clinical. And again, 
left foot, right foot header in behind pace. You had a lot. Like, I always look at John Barnes because I still think he's the best player that's played at Liverpool. But if, if you put to put Rush on the market in today's money, like, God forbid. Like, Let me know. play devil's advocate here, Gav, right? You're the, you're the manager and you can pick one striker. You have, a, you have a pot of money that you can afford one striker. Who would you go for, Fowler or Rush? It would all depend what way I was playing. Um, it would probably be Rush because he has that bit of pace, and his mm. pace was unbelievable. Like even going, even the other day, remember I was telling you about the the whole Yan Moby commentary stuff in the eighty six Cup final, and I went back to watch it because I promised you I would. And if you actually look at um, Liverpool's second goal, there's a ball goes down the left, the right, left air left hand channel, and the defender has far off five six yards, and Rush just burns him, gets the ball, plays a simple ball and Liverpool are in and score Craig Johnson. Um, Rush was just, Rush was unbelievable and as a very, very young Liverpool fan that literally, you know, Rush was knocking cameras over and goals at Wembley and stuff like that and then he wasn't there. Um, it, yeah, that, that, that hurt, that really hurt as a very, very young kid. But number one is Kenny Dalglish leaving as manager. Um, nothing compares to that. Nothing. Um, Van Dijk could leave tomorrow. Um, is that because you know, of the emotion that was wrapped up at the time? Yeah, and the and the and the emotional toll it took on him. You could yeah. you could see that his the, the his shoulders were weighing heavy from the the weight of everything that was going on at the time. Yeah, and it's something I think it's something I think about a lot. It's something I think about even when I when I see Daglish just uh, randomly. He could be he could be doing an interview about anything, and I always think of it. Um, because you could see him standing. I always remember him at Goodison standing and he has the grey kind of jacket. Do you remember the grey with the red? And I can see him standing there and I can see his face and you can see the weight of his, the world on him. And as a eight, nine year old kid, uh, like, you know, you, you're not fully developed into people's emotions, but you could actually see. That's the first time I can ever remember seeing somebody where you actually looked at them and thought, that man looks just so Broke. fucking downtrodden and, and, and so, Broke, yeah, probably broke is the word. And and and, and you know what? You, you look at him, and I, I suppose if I was a 20-year-old man looking at him, you go, Jesus, I love nothing to, just to bring that guy to the point and ask him if he's all right. But as a nine-year-old, you're looking going, there's nothing you can do. But you can, uh, he's, he's the absolute face of a man that's broken. And when it breaks that Liverpool, he's left Liverpool, and I, I was... Oh, yeah, I was heartbroken. That's, that's the most heartbroken I've been as a Liverpool fan. And I include cup final defeats... Gerard slipping, um, not winning on the final day in eight, um, eighteen, nineteen, you know, all of that. That's that's the most upset I've ever been as a Liverpool fan with Kenny Dalglish left the club. Uh, isn't it my Gav? Like Gav, Gav hit the nail perfectly there. Obviously, Dalglish is before my time, but looking back, even to this day, when I look at Dalglish, I feel sorry for him because you can, you imagine something like that never leaves you, never ever ever leaves you, and we now the emotional toys to Liverpool and just how emotional about it's the most emotional football club in the world up there with Celtic I'd say and you can every time you look at that leash you know that what happened is still somewhere there in the back of his head and it was great that he got to come back he got a second chance by uh, John Henry to come in and do a little bit and he won a trophy and that and that was one of the things that stood out for me last year when we won the league, when they cut the dog leash in the gaff with the big cabinet behind them. Mm. You could see it, it looked like there was 
demons being exercised there because when you talk when when you look at Daglish's always said that he felt kind of sorry but with the way he had to leave the club but he just couldn't do it anymore like as, as far as I'm aware he intend he attended almost all of those funerals didn't he is, is that yeah, yeah an, atten- off, he att- he an awful lot of them yeah he attends a hell of a lot of them and, and yeah. they, they split the squad and, and, and that breaks everyone things. it doesn't matter how good of a leader you are how good of a footballer you are that's just that's the human element and that's why for him he is no matter who comes and goes he'll always be Mr. Liverpool and whenever they, I know they gave him a stand but if there's another statue going up any time soon it better be a fucking for Kenny Daglish because there's not many men on this planet who have done more for Liverpool Football Club than Daglish I think it, I think the thing with Kenny uh, before we go around the room to see if there's any others that we've missed is like you said he, I'm sure he closes his eyes and he can still see what happened that day but he knew the backstories of all the families you know he went to meet the families and that alone you know coupled with the fact that he was there that day and seeing the devastation um you know he spoke about it in his documentary how heavy it's it's uh, it's weighed on him over the years and yeah I think you're right when you talk about Liverpool uh, the first person that comes to mind is he's is Kenny Dalglish. he's the most influential he's the most influential person in Liverpool's history and Without I don't care what anybody enough. says. You can tell me that that Shankly built it from nothing, and, and that's I've no issue with that. Um, and what a man! And you could watch Shankly stuff all day long because he's what a bloke. Um, and and you look at Paisley, who's who's the polar opposite to Shankly, but he's just so good at what he does. And then you know you have got Joe Fagan takes it on, and then Daglish as a player manager. But when you look at Daglish as player, player manager, manager, and all of that come and he's always been there. Liverpool needed him. He's always been there. Like when Hodgson has to be thrown out of the club, um, he's always been there, and to this day he's always been there. And and you know he's the most influential because anything Liverpool do, people want to know what Kenny Dalglish thinks about it. You know, Kenny Dalglish is handing over the, the Premier League trophy to Jordan Henderson because Kenny Dalglish is the most influential man in Liverpool football club's history, bar none. I agree. Now, uh, before we move on to the next topic, Mick, any that we've missed? Any uh, any that kind of slipped through Gav's net that uh, well, particularly bothered you over the years? No, I mean, you mentioned Suarez. I wasn't bothered when Suarez left, to be honest. I felt it lost a good player. I don't think they lost a good person. I think he was trying to leave years before. It wasn't a big deal. He lost a fucking great player, but he was an arsehole at the end of the day. But when you mention somebody like Kenny, I think you've got a transcend football like you mentioned it's not really about transfers it's about humans and it's about society and it's about culture and it's a lot more than players leaving I can't really look at it that way when all of that was going on I was knee high to a spud I wasn't even I didn't know what football was back in those days same with Robbie Fowler Ian Rush wasn't really in my life for me it was sort of the early 2000s when I started to get involved in it and for me it was Michael Owen was the big one that fucker he was my hero when I was a kid I thought that's what football was Michael Owen sprinting. Mick, just just hold that, just hold that microphone to your mouth a little bit. Is that right? Is that better? Yeah, that's a bit better. Yeah. Yeah, right. But it was Michael Owen because he seemed magic to me as an eleven-year-old kid. And at that point, I didn't know about transfers. I didn't know about contracts and all of that stuff. You just saw football. You just saw people playing the game and people getting happy about it. So when he left, that it was devastating. And after that. Never mind breaking my heart, it fucking replaced the heart with, with a lump of coal. So I <laughs> saw Torres leave. It didn't bother me that much. Yeah, well, like, I can't, I don't share that with you because we, we talked about this last week. Fucking, it's very similar to, to Mick. Like, 
I loved Michael Owen and he was probably my first idol, but I was I was absolutely infatuated by Fernando Torres. I just the blonde hair, the 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 Nike boots, the tape on the fucking socks. Just him and Jared, the the connection when you were looking at them playing saying these two are unbelievable. Like I was in work when I found out he was leaving and I went home sick. And that's a I swear on I swear on my life. So like 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 you said, like replacing your heart with a lump of coal. I'm with like anything after it's easier. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. It's like the fourth like Rod Stewart said, the fourth cut is the deepest, but it was the fucking last cut as well. Because I didn't let anyone else like Coutinho, Suarez, none of them bothered me. Because just like Mick, like hard to stand after that. I just completely gave up on being emotionally attached to footballers. But uh, Torres smashed me hard to pieces, man. The song, the goals, the number nine. Good. By the time he left, he wasn't. Yeah, no, and that's and that's something that's well, like very often overlooked. And I know Carragher said that, like all the players thought when. Chelsea were paying fifty million for them. They were like, "Fucking hell, we're having them, we're having our pants down there." Like, <laughs> this fella is done in terms of being at the very top, and he, he was like, "We got his best years," but still, the sentiment abated me. But I, I still never fully recovered from that. To be honest with you, only when I seen him playing a charity game at Anfield that I kind of half sort of accept them back <laughs> i seen him with Suarez and your ex-girlfriend and, walks into a bar and you think oh she's actually not, not looking too bad these days it's still, <laughs> <laughs> it's still, <laughs> there's still a little something there just, just don't going tell on anyone having, going on and having a chat about the past and leaving her at that maybe sending a late text when you get to bed but we leave her at that <laughs> yeah, you wake you awake you're up <laughs> there's only one that that comes even close and it never happened thank god was when Gerard was uh <sighs> Yeah, flirting with Chelsea. That that's when I remember. That wasn't even long after the probably two years after Owen left. And that well, I remember that at the time was that was a, a that was squeaky bums. And I thought to myself, if that happens, that probably would be worse worse than Michael. But thankfully, never had to deal with that. And that restored a bit of faith. I thought Mascherano can leave, Javi Alonso can leave. Who else was there? I mean, we had good players come and go, but Stevie and Michael Owen that would have been a bit too much for me. Yeah, that would have that would have broke me. I think the only other one to yeah. add a list, Johnny, before we uh, before we come to you for your topic, Coutinho bothered me, and the reason that it bothered me is more a, a protective dad. So my favorite, my son's favorite player was Coutinho, and if you remember, uh, we were playing, and I'm going to say Atletico, Bill Bell, Bill Bell at the um, at the yeah, Aviva. the Aviva, yeah, yeah. And I took I took my son with me, and he was so excited to see Coutinho. That was the player he wanted to see. He was like, "Dad, can we get in early? I want to see Coutinho." And if you remember, it, to watch he was, but it was that game that he pulled. He pulled out just before that game. He said he was yeah. in. And I, I'm gonna say, um, I don't, did he play for us again? Well, anyway, it, that was when basically yeah, he did. He did because I was at the game when he, in the summer. Yeah, he it, came on against Sevilla at Anfield in the Champions League. That was his first game back. Mm. I was yeah. at that game. I was in there. I know he got some. He got some reception that night. That's why. But Jamie, funny you said. I remember you texting me saying, "Fucking Coutinho, lad, what a rat." Josh is devastated. I remember you texting me. Yeah, I remember you texting me. Genuinely, yeah. He he didn't let that one go. Um. So yeah, fuck Coutinho. He was a, We only. It's funny. We said uh, we had a chat in the WhatsApp group there the other day. It's a funny one with him. There's always talk about him potentially coming back from Liverpool. People nailed on for everything now. If Benitez has gone. Oh yeah, that's not that's not a bad shout. I think I think the thing for me and Coutinho is 
he was just one of the most incredibly gifted footballers and I really enjoyed watching him play at Liverpool. But the idea of him coming back, we need to kind of we need to leave that one, I think, in in the past. Now, Shawnee, I'm gonna to come to you on your topic because we've pretty much done 40 minutes there on, on just one topic. So we're uh, it's we're optimistically looking at that eleven o'clock finish <laughs> at this stage, <laughs> to be fair. Uh, so Shawnee, your topic is top five Anfield nights. Take it away, mate. Yeah, so when we, I asked you to give me a topic instead of picking one myself, so I had a look at them, and I picked them all in mind the 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 journey and the the kind of destination. So where they led us. So that's what I like because there's so many. Like the one one I didn't even think about earlier was the four three Newcastle ninety seven. Like that, that's one of the most biblical Premier League games of all time, but. They're actually uh, five games here, four of them are Champions League and one of them's Europa League. Number five is Olympiacos. Um, purely for me, because everything, the drama, Gerard's press conference, I don't want to wake up tomorrow in the Europa League. Uh, I don't want to wake up tomorrow in the UEFA Cup. Remember, it was this famous wars and I think Olympiacos had a mad team. They'd Rivaldo and all playing for them. We absolutely stunk the gaff out in the group stages and we were literally hanging on by a thread to go to go through. And then obviously you, you get the goal, you get Andy Gray's commentary, and then you get the absolute explosion at Anfield. And as I would have been thirteen at the time. Thirteen. Uh and that would have been my first time looking at a crowd in Anfield going, Jesus Christ. That that's insane. Like it was rocking and we were we were kicking on and look what happens after that is history and we'll get on to that later on. <laughs> the next one is Dortmund in the Europa League. Now I understand it's Europa League. Is this in League a specific not. order now? You're going yeah, from so this, five, this, three to one, yeah. Yeah, four, yeah. Yeah, so number four I have Dortmund. The reason I have Dortmund is because that was the first night with Jürgen Klopp as manager where I thought to myself fucking hell he gets it he has it and he's able to do he's able to do what Rafa did like he's bringing it back like the crowd when Lovren scores we got one nil down and they're all over us in the first 20 they're battering us they're battering us and you're thinking and then they get they get another goal with Royce and you think that's just a dagger but all of a sudden the cogs just start turning. Origi gets one. Then I think Sarko gets one from a corner and you're thinking, Jesus Christ, is it, are we going to have one of them <laughs> nights? And it was so long since we had those because we hadn't been playing in the Champions League. And then Lovren scores and the place absolutely erupts. Erupts. Now, that we get beaten in the final of that campaign. But the reason why I think that's a catalyst, that, was a, that night was a catalyst for Jurgen Klopp. That I we all talk about the doubters to believers, but I think that was a big hurdle. I think when because Dortmund were a very very good side at that stage, they dropped down from the Champions League into the Europa into the knockout stages, and they were one of the favourites. And they were look, they had far more quality than we did. They were absolutely brilliant. They were a brilliant side. And when you seen us turning them over, you thought, Jesus Christ, we're onto something here with club. Number three is one. I wasn't a way before my time, way before I was even thought of. It's a 77 European Cup, uh, St. Etienne, uh, Fairclough's 
Croy, like talk about cult heroes, like doesn't get any better than uh, David Fairclough. And we actually had the we had the pleasure of having Fairclough over for the for the show, and he was talking about his book and he was talking about stories and about how it was and just the the environment that he was in at Liverpool and how he was just accepting of the fact that he was a squad player, but he knew when he looked at training every day, the level that he had to be at. And he knew the way he was trusted by the coach to just be that sort of 12th, 13 man coming off the bench to, to make the difference. And look, you say Saint at the end now, and you're thinking they're just fucking some farmers from the French league, but you need to realise that at that stage, that was the cream of the crop. Only played in the Champions League. They were champions of the champions of France. Honestly, like to go on then again, that's another catalyst to be going on and win the European Cup after that. It's one of them fame, one of the one of those famous Anfield lights. That's oh, like when you think about the ones that's going to come next in two and three, that game is always referenced. That game is always referenced. Like the Barca game, they were talking about Saint at the end seventy seven. They were talking about. Or that comebacks the diamond, but seventy-seven is always referenced, and for that reason, I couldn't leave it out of the list because, impartially, this everything spawned from that. This is where the great Anfield European nights come from. Number two is, I'd say this this could be controversial because I'd imagine most people had this at number one. It's Barca. It's the four nil. Um, obviously. Everyone here remembers that it wasn't You're too long ago. Lynched here, yeah. <laughs> That's all right, but I have reasons, Gav. That was mental. That that should have been never. We should have been never three 0 down going into that game. To be, we battered Barcelona in the new camp. We were absolutely all over them. I, I remember going out after that game, going thinking, "How the hell are we three 0 down here?" We played really well. <laughs> we played unbelievable. We just couldn't score. Yeah. We just couldn't, and everything went against us. Suarez gets a deflection, and then Messi with the free kick, and then you're bringing them back to Anfield. And guys, the reason why it's at number two is because what people fail to realize in that season, in 18 19, the Champions League is a sideshow for the most part. That's all it was. Because I remember we were in Gunham for the league and that was the season when we done 97 points and finished second. But we only all cared about the league. Nobody cared about anything else. I remember we drew Bayern and there was people saying, do you know what, if we go out, we go out. But the thing was, we dominated absolutely everybody in them knockouts. We battered Bayern Munich. We battered Porto. We go through what it is and then we get to the... You're thinking, this is a, a frail Barcelona side. Yeah, they have Messi. But then, I, I'll tell you a quick story about the Bayern one. I I was in London on a work trip, and uh, it was when we, we, it was the away leg, and I was like, "Oh, I've got a couple of client. Actually, am I going to get myself in trouble for this? No, I won't." So like, I've got a couple of client meetings in the morning. I was like, "Right, should probably you know just get my head down and watch the game in the hotel." I said, "Oh, no, look, I'll go and go and have a couple of pints and just stand on my own and be quiet." So I went in. Went into his pub and it must have just been a pub for Liverpool fans. It was the nearest one to my hotel. So I went in there and had a couple of pints and then 
couple of pints turned into four pints and then I'm five pints deep and then I'm starting to sing songs and then I'm eight pints in and my boss and two of my team walk in and I'm on top of a table with about four best mates singing and sweating my head off and they're like, what the hell is this lad? But to be fair to them, they never said anything. They got a couple of pints and just left me to it. It's just funny how like, you, that's one thing I love about being a Liverpool fan. You can you can walk into a pub on your own and walk out with, with 20 or 30 well, Liverpool I've, fans. Best I've, said, I've said a few times about that match. Um, we were in the, in the studio waiting to do a, a post-match show and Liverpool are being beaten 3-0, obviously, in the new camp. And Liverpool played really well that night. People forget that. But we were in the studio. We were waiting to go. And we went in and we had her on, on the TV. And then the TV went because it was a stream, right? And Phil stuck her on a laptop. And literally, we watched on a laptop. And Phil, <laughs> Phil and, and people will remember this, Phil literally argued with a remote control off a TV where Liverpool were beating Barca four goals in it. Um, so that, that's the, that's, I'll always remember that. Always remember it. Like expectation was on the floor going into that game because if you, like, most will probably remember the night before fucking company scores that goal against Leicester and you're just thinking, how have these lads been so good all year and we're literally going to come away from this season with nothing? Because we were 3-0 down. There was no hope of us going through Bobby was injured. Salah was out. Salah was out, yeah. So, we just thought, Jesus Christ. But you always had in your head, we get an early one here, you never know. Origi scores, and then the rest is history. The Trent corner, clock with the fans afterwards, the players breaking down at full time. And the best thing is about it, like, and it's why most will probably have it in at number one. The coverage now around football these days, like the inside Liverpool's and the inside Anfields. I was watching here for about a week after Wednesday. Yeah, well, yeah, a week go again. So yeah. about six bleeding months. I'm still, I still <laughs> knock it on every now and again when I'm yeah. having a bad day. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> like it was unbelievable. But number one for me, and I'll argue down the ground that anyone is the semi final in out four, out five against Mourinho's Chelsea, the game had absolutely, <laughs> absolutely everything. I remember I was shaking like a shitting dog for 90 minutes yeah. of the game because of how it played out. And like Mick said, uh, people don't realise they beat us in the Carling Cup final last season and there was all the talk. And then by Mourinho and Gerard, and that's when it all kind of started. There was so many subplots. Mourinho was fucking, he was the pant- real pantomime villain there. Like he was coming down from Chelsea. They were at the blown the league away. They were absolutely brilliant in his fourth season. He was going for back to back Champions Leagues. They only had to turn up. And then you get the, the Lewis guys, you get the ghost goal. <laughs> and the thing that I remember about that was when the the good Johnson chance as well that, that's Jesus the Christ. one thing I remember I like, actually remember it ha- no. it fell to him and it's like time stopped time stopped and I ended up I was on my knee I was watching it with my mates I was on my knees in front of the TV I just got closer and closer to the TV and I still don't know how he missed it it's literally the, like time stopped literally all the blood left my body all the blood left my body <laughs> I was thinking holy Jesus but the, the biggest t- like Watch that back. Watch back because I watched it back today. It was a great game of football. They were a great side, and we, we really put up to them. Gerard was outstanding in that game. He was everywhere, and Carragher is a really good game. Look at ninety minutes. The camera 
is shaking. It's like the the cameraman, like the cameraman is on the gargle. The camera is shaking, and it's basically from the state, the movement of the stadium. The whole ground is rocking. And then there was Chloe Tilsley's, Chloe Tilsley's uh, commentary turns around says, Liverpool FC with the chance to be kings of Europe again. And you're thinking, that was to me, like, that was the first time to me a major competition where we are going into. And then, like I said at the start, the journey and the destination. People still pop up the images of that AC Milan team we played in the final. And you look at it and you're thinking... It's like cheat mode on Championship Manager. You know what I mean? You bought yeah, all the thinking, players. How did we beat these with fucking Jimmy Troyare <laughs> playing in left-back? Hey, hold that force. I've got cult heroes in a bit. Our Jimmy so, might make an appearance. So... <laughs> That when you look at you can't Istanbul doesn't happen without that night in Anfield and that was electric. That was my first time as a Liverpool fan going, Jesus Christ, like this is absolutely bonkers. The you'll never walk alone is legendary afterwards. Like I'm here, I'm here in Spain at the moment, uh not to carry on Sharon. Uh <laughs> and they the people always say to you, What's Anfield like? They all know about you never walk alone and they're nearly getting emotional when you're talking about them. So reverberates not just not just in Liverpool, all around the world, they know exactly because they've experienced it through television and they're always asking you, what's it like, what's it like? Like I brought my missus to a game and she was bleeding crying at you never walk alone. Jesus, so, surely uh, you're making me want to get my footy kit on and go and do some tackles out the front, mate. I'm, I'm ready to go here. Hands. But that's what I do <laughs> to you. That's, that's, what it, that, that's what it did to you. And when you're looking at going, Jesus Christ, like, we've done a podcast a few weeks ago and Razor was like, why always us? And you have to ask yourself, yeah, like, I'm at the rattling off five there. I could do 10. I could probably do 15. Like, this is the beauty of supporting Liverpool Football Club. And for me, that's the greatest Anfield night at a lot. And the thing is, with Jürgen Club, I wouldn't be surprised if we have a few more in the, in the next couple of years. Can't You can't argue with that list he's given you. It may be the order you can argue with, but like, there's so many of them. Like The two the two four trees against Newcastle in the mid-90s was madness. Um, absolute madness. I love I love when we beat United last season. And Salah scores at the very end. I love The that. way it happened. Yeah, and the way just it goes in the net and just the crowd just allow themselves to sing my going yeah. in the league and they just it literally it, it filters like it doesn't filter one by one it's like a thousand do it, and then the next tails go oh they're doing it let's do it and then it just gets around and it sweeps around the copy into the king the kenny and the main and and it just goes off and but this you can't really argue with that list in fairness there's, there's been so many great nights on on different levels city in the in the quarterfinal of the that that's one for me i think city in yeah, the quarter yeah because that was a real case of liverpool you know, again, that's another city side coming that we're all conquering and all, and like Chelsea in 05. But Liverpool are real, a real defiance from Liverpool that need to show that. That, that whole run, that short yeah. was yeah. just, uh, I mean, everything from Olympiacos to Chelsea, you event this game was. Yeah, Garcia's volley. Yeah, like, it's just the teams we beat. They had the big tribute for Heisel at the same time. So it was just all this big sort of fan, fan led ceremony before the game. You, they had no chance. Let's be honest, we had no business being in the Champions League final in 05. Uh, whereas, whereas last, like when we, when we won it against Spurs, we were coming it. There was a bit of an arrogance about us going out. And you only have to look at the way we handled the final when we beat, like, we beat 
we beat Barca and it's like, yeah, we're supposed to be here. Like, this is where this team's supposed to be. It's the best team in Europe. How far out five? Like you fucking <laughs> it just doesn't it does not it does not compute. It does not compute. Like do next save. <laughs> like it's just it's bonkers. And actually like Shevchenko may as well have retired on the pitch that night because it, <laughs> he was broke. He, he was done. Yeah. He was like uh, me after it was he was like me after a good session at a wedding. And um you know, some dodgy food la- late at night in a hotel and you wake up next day going, I've had enough of this. Last one on the flat dance floor with the toy around your ah, head. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sliding like the kids were there earlier before the dinner. Um oh yeah, like poor Shevchenko, Jesus, it, it ended him, didn't it? It was unbelievable. Yeah, he was I, I don't, in fairness to Sean, you could argue that the 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 makeup of that, but I wouldn't argue that the games he's picked, I think he's he's, he's yeah. fairly spot on there. Only only one that's missing for me, and I'll, and then we'll come to to your topic, Mick. Is probably the four 0 versus Madrid um, yeah, at Anfield. Honourable mention for that, and the, and the reason I say it is, I think it's we were just watching Gerard and Torres in the peak of their powers, yeah. and and as a, as a connection that they had, Stevie pushed further on. Like the, the way they played together was just it was a it was a special time to watch them them two uh, in full full flight. Sort of done the double that year as well. Yeah, if you remember, I think it was that season. There was, I think we beat United. It was United. We beat Madrid, and I think we hockeyed Villa as well. All in the, within, in the week. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and some fella, some fellas highlight that week was going around shaking hands with people, telling them they're not from Liverpool. <laughs> it was that, that both of them games. <laughs> really? <laughs> what we talked about the other day, that little Lula off Twitter. We won't get into it. I get us into trouble. I get. I said that. <laughs> You me, Gav. Turn on me, camera. Okay. <laughs> I haven't a fucking clue what you're talking about. Anyway, you're not a film, Johnny. No. <laughs> Tell me afterwards. Scotty Rhodes. Oh, no, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah, move on. <laughs> right, moving on swiftly. Uh, I Mick, get you now. To, yeah. to, to your topic, mate, and uh, there's been a couple of comments. If you could just try and speak into the mic a little bit because everyone wants to hear what you're saying. So. No, I think, I, think, I think his mic is set on his laptop. So if well, he gets I, close, I, I to... change, I change. Is that? Can you hear me if I do that? Is that all right? Yeah, that seems to be okay. Yeah, just yeah, get we that can close yeah. and go this. for it. No issue. So it's not really a top five. I mean, you'll be pleased, Jamie, because it's a quick one. It's more <laughs> about the other fourteen because we all love. Naturally, there's a Liverpool focus, but everybody, majority of people within this community, speak about either your club or one of the other big six, the appointed big six. I might upset Shawnee a bit, but I'm going to have to speak about Everton as part of this because there's five of them and Everton is one of them. You take a club like Everton. The other one is Leeds. The other one is Aston Villa. The other one is Newcastle. And the other one was Crystal Palace. If you take five clubs like that, I think it, it takes the Premier League from being this collection of world-class players and billion-dollar football clubs, and it takes it more into the back to what the roots of football were before the before the Premier League came along, where it's all about burger vans at the size of the pitch and, and atmospheres despite the team being shite and having no good manager for 15 years, fans are still going mad for it. Everton fans still get annoyed, even though they haven't won since 1995. They've still got these expectations and these hopes. Same with Leeds, with the Premier League, really missed that club because they fucked themselves with pushing a little bit too far, flying a bit too close to the sun. Ruined themselves financially, and then they were out of the picture for the best part of twenty years. They come back, and it's still the atmosphere is still there. So my top five is more about the big clubs that make the Premier League what it is. Aside from the Manchester United's, the Arsenal's, Liverpool's, 
Can I can I be controversial, Mick? Yeah. Because I I have a problem with the term now, the big six, because there's a couple of clubs in that big six who were right. doing well. Yeah, who were doing well to hold on to, right. to, to to that title. And I'm just and it must I mean you mentioned what, a couple What is the big six? What tell me the big six? I, I was told right there's a fella on Twitter, I'd recommend him. He's called the other fourteen. His whole shtick is he sort of presents the table. Okay, I like him already. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was when it was when Newcastle, there was talk about Newcastle being bought and I said if they get bought by Vin Salman, they're gonna pull up Man City and they're gonna be yeah. Right at the top of the pile, like City were. And he said, if that happens, the big six is going to stay the big six. They're going to replace whoever's at the bottom. And I said, why would they do that? And it's basically a, because Sky and BT, they have this certain number of games. I think it's 300 they're allowed to show. And by having six, it's a lovely multiple to show all of the big six play each other, plus the occasions when the big six play, you know, United play Leeds or Liverpool play Everton, where you get, it's all about putting on the big show. So it won't ever become a seven because Sky Sport, you know, the people who basically run the, you know, who the most famous is basically, they're not going to allow that because Newcastle probably is a bigger club than Spurs, but Newcastle don't bring in the the viewing figures at the moment because they haven't got the players, they haven't got the worldwide esteem. So if that was to happen, it would still be the big six because that's what mainly Sky Sports have decided. That's this guy's theory. And I, I think it makes a lot of sense. So this is why we've got it. Even though you're right, when was the last time Arsenal finished in the top six? Or it's, yeah, well, I, think, it's, I, I think Arsenal are a big six club. Like uh, I don't have Chelsea or City in a big six, and 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 no, I don't. Based on that's the thing. Well, I, I have Liverpool. I have is it Liverpool. money, lads? Is it money? Is this what we're basing? It's basically, who brings in the most revenue? Yeah. yeah. The then revenue? Chelsea and Arsenal are in. Are Chelsea and City are in there. No, well, yeah, but that's what that big six is based on. What I would say is Liverpool, um, United, Arsenal. Who's the other? Who's the other? Is, is Spurs in there? Spurs, yeah, Spurs. No, but they're not in. There's there's three big clubs, and two of them um, inflated themselves, and one of them pretends they're a big club, and they're not. And so it's just the big three, and they're three mates. That's basically what it is. Because yeah, they're not, I, they're not I, big I, clubs. I think we're getting back towards now more of a the, the traditional big four, because I just think that, yeah, the you look at you look at Nottingham Forest, like they're you, they're a massive club. Villa are a massive club. Newcastle a massive club. Yeah. And Leeds a massive club. Like yeah, exactly. Leeds is a one club city. <coughs> yeah. Like there's no other clubs in Leeds. Like yeah, that's that's what I mean. Is we're in this bubble where it's like uh, Sky Sports have convinced us that Premier League football goes as far as ninety two. Yeah, like football started in '92. Exactly. Yeah. As you go to these places, the community spirit around them. This is why I mentioned Palace because they've put up with some shite over the years. Shite Palace fans are great. Yeah, Palace fans, fans are unbelievable. Are unbelievable. Club in South London. You just say they've got Charlton and Millwall in that part of town. They're all sort of in and around it. But Palace, great, like really old-fashioned stadium, really old-fashioned fan base that still belt out the songs. They've had they've had nothing to cheer about. I can't remember the last time they did have anything. They reached the FA Cup final under Pardew. And that was that was dog dog shit football, wasn't it? But nineteen ninety is the last time I remember them being being any good. Thirty years ago, yeah. But so, still, so, the fans are bang on it, and this is the point. It's all about that's the real spirit, I think. We and I think it would be better if there's more focus put on clubs like Palace, Leeds, Leeds are at the top of that pile, but also Everton because there's a lot of tradition there as well, even though it's you know it's a bit different. So. 
So if I, if I again, play devil's advocate, right? So, okay, if we're looking at measuring what we believe makes a big club, money aside, right? Because that's what seems to rule the game at the moment. I Kind of similar to you, Mick, in terms of the names you said. I'd say the likes off the top of my head, the Leeds, uh, the Leeds is the Villas, Everton, Newcastle. I'd say even maybe West Ham as well. They have big history. Forest, uh, big, Forest big Sheffield club. Wednesday. Forest are a good shout too. Yeah. Derby yeah. yeah. County. They, you know, they've not been able to get back up here. But if they did, they Sunderland. Sunderland's yeah. a massive club. Look at it. Like they used to call the Sunderland the Bank of England. They had so much money back in the day. Look at the state. The stadium of light was state of the art for so long. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was and it's not, no, I, I never knew it. That's a fifty-two thousand seat. It's huge, Gav. Yeah. And yeah. and it was and it was still like like eighty percent full when they're in League One. Yeah. Like Mick said, he hit the nail on the head. These. These clubs are still synonymous in their communities. Like they mean so much to the communities, and I do get where Gav is coming from. Like I do understand the idea that City and Chelsea aren't really more so City now. Because to be honest with you, I think Chelsea are making that history now. I think the kids of their kids will look back and say the legacies of Chelsea's because they're starting now. Do you know what I mean? Like basically. Yeah, the next yeah. Ge- the next generation will just see Chelsea as a big powerhouse in world football. Same with City. Yeah. Ten years, Man City will be the same as well. Yeah, yeah, but at the moment, you need to think like what outside of City, who really gives a bollocks? Like, like they were nobody. That's the thing. Like, Do you think that will change though, Shawnee? In the like, like mixness in ten years' time, you know, you look at uh, who was it? I think it was Kyle Walker said something a couple of days uh, last week in the in the press. He said he used to take his kids to school or drop his kids to school, and and nobody had city shirts on. Uh, whereas now a lot of them have, have city shirts on. Yeah. Is it just a case of you gravitate towards success and mm-hmm. and given time Absolutely. that will change? Yeah. Without doubt, like you're saying, we seen it here in Dublin at United, like in the nineties. And obviously Liverpool before then the eighties. It does go in cycles, but the the thing is I don't see a team dominating for long enough to get a grip on any sort of it's not gonna it's not gonna happen. Not the way you know it did. You know it had a monopoly on English football for the best part of 10, 15 years, if we're being honest. If if we're being honest. Yeah, Liverpool had a monopoly. Liverpool used to buy the most expensive players in the eighties. You know, it did it all through the nineties. We got left behind. Like Mick said, Sky created football in '92. That's what they wanted to believe. So, it, like, it, what's your idea of big? What's big? Is it success? Is it money? There's so many different ways you can look at it. Like Arsenal aren't operating like a big club at the moment, and the fans won't like to hear that. But it's just the truth. They're not. They're really not. It's They're generational. Not operating. But it's, it is generational because because <clears throat> you know. My generation, I said this going back a couple of weeks ago because people know, widely know that I get so frustrated by Arsenal for some mad reason. And the reason is because I always seen Arsenal as a classy club that were really, you know, top, top level. And when I see what they do now, it's just like boggles me mind. Where the same way Liverpool boggled me mind for so many years going through the 90s and, and 2000s for parts of them. There was little bits and pieces in there that, that broke that cycle like 2001 and stuff like that, 2005. But it is generational because, like, you know, in 10 years' time, if you speak to, you know, your son Jamie is is seven or eight years of age or nine years of age, whatever he is, and in 10 years' time, if you, t- not maybe not him because he's so engrossed in Liverpool and, you know, I know you just brainwash him, so you're probably better off asking his mate two doors down, but his mate two doors down <laughs> will 
we'll have a younger brother who's five or six and coming into football. And even that difference will be huge because, you know, the, the, the guy that's 17 in 10 years time will go, oh yeah, but when I was younger, City just spent all the money. Whereas in 10 years time, a five-year-old, six-year-old will go, oh, City are brilliant, aren't they? And then that just changes it. No one will care about City until they win the European Cup. When they win the European Cup, then it'll all kick off and then they'll have everything thrown at them because that's how it works. I think sure. that football is changing in that way though because like, this is mad. It's mad I'm even saying this. You can buy Neymar and Harry Kane in Fortnite. So fo- you can actually what? buy them and play as them running around with Josh, Josh bought Harry Kane the other day. Shoot people. <laughs> so you can actually buy them. Like, you can buy them. I think Daniel Levy was looking for 150 quid off Josh, was he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're not wrong. <laughs> yeah. No, but, it, like, the uh, football is changing. Like, kids are more inclined to follow players now than teams. Like, if, yeah. I, ask, if I ask my nephew, who does he support? He tell me Mbappe. Yeah, of course he does. Yeah. He's, he, was Fre- he was French last night. Watching France, he, he loves Mbappe. He's mad, he's Mbappe mad. Wherever he goes, he'll follow. So I think allegiances are starting to become more aligned with footballers because the thing is now is that footballers are actually building themselves as brands now. They're actually brands. Like they have their own logos. Raheem Sterling, Neymar, they all have their own logos. They're becoming their own brand. So they're entities. They're not even people anymore. They're not people employed by football clubs. They're entities. And that's the way football is going. Well, it's I, I gone think the American way. It's gone the American way because you look at Michael Jordan, um, you know, and got in in basketball, and and you know, Jordan is still fucking huge. You look at Tiger Woods with Nike. He's the biggest sponsorship deal you've ever seen. It was colossal. You know, we had the, the TW. He still has that TW, but it was everywhere. And now you're looking at like you know. Isn't isn't Mbappe and, and one of these rapper guys um, that's involved in Liverpool making jeans together or something or <laughs> bracelets or something? I don't know what they're doing, but this is the way it's going now. It's 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 insane. And and Sean is right. People people or kids follow players, and they follow trends, and they follow fashion, and the and football happens to be the backdrop to it. Yeah, yeah, and I think Shawnee was 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 kind of going down the line that that I was going to go down. I think I've said this before on a podcast. Uh, my son loves loves football, but he'd only ever seen success. And then Liverpool had a little bit of adversity this year, and he was like, "Hold on, this this isn't this isn't what I signed up for." And you need, I think, that kids are built slightly differently now. I think they have everything at the click of a button. I think it's hard enough to get. I think uh, Perez was rising during the Super League conversations when he was talking about uh, fight for attention. I yeah. think. The idea that a kid will sit down and watch ninety minutes of football to see his team lose, his or her team lose, is 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 optimistic at best. Kids want to see the best players and they want to see as many goals as possible. And if they're not getting what they need, they'll go do something else. They've got lots of they'll distractions. Watch they'll watch thirty second clips of it on TikTok of doing all the best things. They can yeah. watch thirty seconds of Neymar doing rainbow flicks and nutmegs on TikTok, and that stimulates them as far as football goes. Like, yeah. like Jamie said. Attention span. It was fine. Six second clips, 20 second clips. You can't get that heads out of phones. You can't get that heads out of Nintendos. That, it's all part of it. it. Like that. That is a big part of it. Like, well, in fairness, I'm 39 and I can't get away from Warzone. <laughs> Absolutely awful at it. But just keep playing. Yeah, but yeah. if they brought out a John Barron skin in Warzone next week, you'd buy oh, it. be all over it. <laughs> all over it. I wouldn't even be shooting with guns. I'd be just forearm smashing people as I ran past them. 
Oh, <laughs> but that's like that's the the evolution of football. Uh, it's regressing, maybe in that in that sense. So yeah, it is now. It's a bit bleak actually when you think about it because the appetite to play the game is probably not there anymore. When you can just watch it, or else be a favorite player on FIFA. Like when I was a young fella, if I wanted to be Ronaldo, I had to turn on Pez. And they look like bleeding, like they look like a bleeding lump of roast beef running around the pitch. There was not like it was, it was called Donaldo or something. Yeah, yeah. PlayStation One graphics, and you're playing with Wales and Ryan Greggs on the wing. Like you know what I mean? Yeah. That's yeah. this is like like Jamie says, that spoiled little fuckers. They have everything yeah. at the touch of a button. Like they, and another thing is as well. Kids that finish in second now are getting medals. It means nothing to be a winner anymore. There's no losers. So I think that also ha- competition and hunger and appetite for the game will see a change big time. Just I'm just delighted I got to kind of see football in its like in its best moment. Rawest form. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I suppose all of this is it's still about marketing, though, isn't it? That's about how the companies are presenting football. In the end, football is still going to be a 22 blokes booting a ball about the pitch, and it? it's still going to be the game in its as its core. It's just the TV companies will blow it out of proportion. And, I, I think it gets distilled down, though, Mick. I think, and that's where I, I'm. Everyone knows involved with this podcast. Sean is the same, like emotional guy, and I think football is built on emotion. And I think we're getting to a dangerous territory where emotion is getting sort of stripped away from the game and when that happens it, it just won't be the same game for, for so many people I think we're on da- dangerous territory yeah, as we speak it. yeah because I'm already interested now in watching YouTube with punch the head off each other boxing matches yeah like yeah, some fellas some fellas yeah some fellas doing reviews on toys and then next week he's in a boxing ring <laughs> where, the, where the fella who was off TikTok yeah, who does videos throwing shapes around his bedroom it's been madly <laughs> it's crazy times we're living in honest to God I right, couldn't believe you man I couldn't believe that fella was fighting um... Floyd Mayweather oh, <laughs> this, this passed me by until um Someone took someone's hat, and I seen something, and then and then <laughs> I forgot about where, it. Uh, he fought on the lips. Yeah, I, I forgot Rocky. about it, and then and then it was. I think he fought on a Sunday night, was it? And I usually go up in the morning, and I'm lying in bed. I usually straight away pick up my phone and see what's going on, and and usually to do with the podcast. And if there's any issues around, and this thing flashed up Mayweather, um, or or. This sort of Logan, whatever the fuck his name is, um, claims claims victory over Floyd Mayweather. What the fuck is going on here? So I had to go and look. And when I went and looked, I was like, hold on, you're telling me that that fella who's 51 and all is fighting this cabbage and it went the full eight rounds? Ah, this is a fucking joke. And, and people paid for it. It wasn't like it wasn't on telly, it wasn't on like, a million, a million pay per view buys, a million pay per view boys. How, yeah. how much? How much a pay per view? Not sure How much was it? it? I think it was 15 quid ago. So $15 million was spent on these two <laughs> in a ring. The best boxer probably all of all time find this cabbage from YouTube. And and he went the eight rounds. Will you stop it? You know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's madness. 
hopeless. We can't fight it, unfortunately. Do you know what we said before the podcast? We're like, right, yeah, we'll just we'll limit the amount of tangents we go on. And yeah. uh, I'm delighted that we managed to do yeah. that, lads, and we've still got one now topic we're, to now, go. Now we're, now we're on to someone called some fella Logan, whatever the Terry Logan. Is. That, that's exactly. <laughs> I can't believe Floyd Mayweather didn't beat Terry Wogan. Do you know, do you know what the funny? Do you know what the funny thing is? You should probably remember this last tangent. I promise. Do you remember years ago on MTV Celebrity Death Match? It was yeah. like made out of clay models, and it was yeah. great. It was a brilliant watch. It's reality now. Like that's yeah. the world we're living in now. Yeah. Like yeah. honestly, I'm waiting for Britney Spears to have a knockoff Christina Aguilera now in a few weeks. <laughs> and to be honest with you, I'll be the first one in the queue to win the paper. Yeah, Dale Dale Winton versus Conor McGregor down the middle aisle in Aldi. <laughs> Something along their lines. My money's on Dale, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Fuck <laughs> the head off him at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> okay, right, lads. Twenty past eleven, and we got one topic to go, so I'll keep it. Yeah, uh, I'll keep it brief. Yeah. So, um. Cult heroes was my topic. And when I sat down today and I started drawing up a list and I've got to try and refine it to a top five, it's not that easy um, because it. De- I think it depends on, A, what you class as a cult hero, what those players meant to you in, in whatever way, shape or form. Um, I ended up with a list of 13 of them that I had to whittle down to five, right? So I'll give you my five and then we can we can go through some of the others that I had on the list as well. So number five, I had Colo Torre. And the reason that I picked Colo Torre is he wasn't particularly brilliant for Liverpool, I don't think, but he was just a mad, mad bastard. Um, and for some reason, like I remember seeing interviews that he did and he started thinking that he started talking about the fact that he liked Whitney Houston songs and, and he's just like, he's just off the wall character who, I mean, there was the iconic song, wasn't there? The, the, that everybody started singing. I think it was Steven Gerrard when they were away on a, uh, on a team trip up the escalator. It just seemed that everybody loved Colo Torre, including the fans. Um, so yeah, one, 100%, only with us for a short period of time, but I think it's fair to say he left an impact on all of us for no particular reason other than he just seems like a deadly fella, to, to be fair. Um, number four is probably a little bit of recency bias. But Nat Phillips, um, if you yeah. are looking for the epitome of a cult hero, for me, it's somebody that's unexpected, somebody that you don't, um, you're not particularly holding high hopes out for. Um, I don't think anybody. Did you see the fella the other day, they got the, go the tattoo of Nat Phillips. Oh, head in the brick, a, a brick, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely a cult hero. If yeah, you get the, you get the tattoo, he's a martyrist. Like yeah. that's as simple as that. Like. And the thing, I think, look, he's been done to death now, Phillips, but I think the big thing is he cared so much that he would put his head in front of absolutely anything if it meant that Liverpool would get a point, three points, doesn't matter. And he consistently overachieved against his own levels and ultimately was one of the key players in getting us into the Champions League. Let's 100%. make no no bones about it. Whether you want to talk about his deficiencies, I'm not one of those people. I like to talk about people's strengths. He ultimately delivered in the biggest moments, not only at the back, but scored big goals towards the end as well. So uh, Nat Phillips, definitely my number four. Number three, Gary Mack, Gary McAllister. Um, and the reason that I picked Gary McAllister is, again, Come in latter stages of his career, um, 
you only have to listen to what Steven Gerrard says about Gary McAllister to see the type of impact that he had around the club. You then look at the big moments. Not only he's clearly had off the pitch, but then on the pitch. You know, the goal against, uh, was it the golden goal against Alaves? If you think about the goal against Everton in the, uh, at Goodison, the, the curler where he, Barcelona. penalty against Barcelona. He came in on a free and had a massive impact on the club. Again, for me, overshot any expectations fans would have had of, of him coming on, uh, coming into the club. Number two, controversial one. Um, I've made no, secret of my love for this fella over the years and there's other contributors to this podcast who despise him with every ounce of their being <laughs> um, lucas laver is my number two um if phil i can actually hear phil casey throwing things at his phone he's and on the way up to gaff he's on <laughs> yeah. the way up to gaff he's gonna come to that light behind you yeah i think i wouldn't surprise me um lucas laver reason being again longevity at the club um absolutely massive character uh you know again big players talking about the impact that he had um uh, overachieved i think in terms of the level of his ability at the club um longevity played for a, a series of managers and was always picked um i just think in terms of everything that he gave to the club i think he, he deserves to be on on the list um and then my final one before we go to some of the random ones that i also had on the list sammy hippier for me. Um, and the reason that I picked Sammy Hippie, we signed him from, was it Willem two? Uh, well, we, yeah. Si- yeah, we, uh, we signed him. I think it was around for 3 million. May, may, may have been less. I think it was 2.4. 2.4 million. If you there, are yeah. talking for pound for pound, best value for money signing, Sammy Hippie is right up at the top of the list. That guy, I remember him coming in and I was thinking, what the hell have we signed here? This guy, doesn't look like a footballer. And then not only could he play, his anticipation, his reading of the game, his aerial dominance, which is not something you'd basically um, attribute to Liverpool centre-backs at the time. He went on to be the rock of our defence for for such a long period of time. And again, for me, Cult Heroes is all about big moments or overachieving against your your kind of initial value. And and for me, he was was definitely one of them. Now, Couple of honourable mentions that I have to bring to to to, the, to you lads, and I want to see what you have in terms of any that I may have list, uh, missed off the list, right? So, Igor Bishkan. Randomly, people love Igor Bishkan. People love Jimmy Traore, Titi Kamara, Ragnar Klavan, yeah, uh, and the the Divock for obvious reasons. I think is the is the big one. And then the one that I want to throw around the room as well is I have absolutely no idea why Mamadou Sakho was a cult hero for some people. Um, it makes no uh, sense to me. Just because he was painting gaffs in Liverpool sometimes, it's like... Change, uh, change a warden that. Change a warden that. And that's what he was. Change one, one, let, change one letter and that. That's what he was. <laughs> Sakho was a fucking disgrace. He was a disgrace. He was a cheater. Yeah, he was... He was pulled by UEFA, but he was doing what he was doing. He knew what he was doing. And he was fucked out of the club by both ankles. There was nothing got to do with Achilles. The only problem he had with his ankles is that Klopp swung, couldn't swung him out the door fast to avoid him. So, fuck Mohamed Usaka and anyone that stands by him. He's not a cult hero. He done nothing for Liverpool. Achieved nothing with Liverpool and won nothing with Liverpool. He doesn't deserve any praise. 
Couldn't have put it's it better me. myself. What about you, Gav? Have you got any? I'll tell, you, oh, I'll tell you how I really feel oh, in a few oh, minutes. I'm still, <laughs> still going. Uh, <laughs> when we hit end, I hope. You're talking about celebrity death, uh, death matches. Surely yeah. he'll yeah. be fighting Mamadou Sako on yeah. YouTube. <laughs> yeah. with, 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 with paintbrushes. Um, it's weird because, you know, cult heroes, a lot of people immediately go to, he wasn't that good, but we great moments for him. That's that's the way a lot of people look at cult heroes for me. Um, I think, I think one of the biggest cult heroes at Liverpool is Robbie Fowler. I genuinely believe that. Ah, he's a legend, guy. No, no. Listen, hear me out. Hear me out. What I mean is that, like, I would look at George Best as a cult hero, and what I mean by that is, is that he he grabbed the attention of so many people like I've said it before my father was a big Manchester United fan and I've watched stuff on George Best and he was a fucking genius right but not only was he a genius he was off on the drink he was Miss Worlds he was doing whatever he wanted and that for me is a cult hero a fella that can just do it all whenever he wants and people go you know what he's sound and that's what for me is a cult hero because if you name all, all them players you've named there you kind of go they're sound aren't they they don't come across as shitheads they don't so I think uh, uh, when I think of cult hero I go along them lines with what you've said but I think I genuinely think Robbie Fowler and the reason I do is because brilliant footballer um, you know local boy cheeky you know, getting down sniffing lions and derbies, you know, <laughs> pulling up T-shirts to, to support Dockers, you know, never afraid to say where he taught. Um, honest, you know, he goes over that tackle with Seaman and tells, says the ref, no, it's not. And I think if you look at him, he embraces more than just the people that are there to support him, i.e. Liverpool fans. And I think that's why I'd have Robbie Fowler in there as a show. Not not saying to be on your list, but as a show, because sometimes I feel people just look at cult heroes and go, like Jimmy Triari, we don't rate him, but he won a European Cup, he's a cult hero. Whereas what I kind of look at it as, there's so many facets to him, and he's still so likeable. You know, like there's players out there that have been brilliant, but they've gone off and they might be doing this and doing that, and you just think, forget what he's like in the pitch, he's a prick. Whereas there's players out there that do so many things, and people like Ronaldinho. Ronaldinho's a fucking outrageous footballer. But Ronaldinho, instead of being a pre-season training, is landing a helicopter in Rio and he's going to Carnival and he's on the gargle. And I've no issue with that. Cult hero. That's the way I kind of look at it. So Robbie Fowler always sticks in my mind for that. Funny story about Jimmy Traore. I can't remember the game that I went to watch at Anfield. And I'm one of these, I always like to get in early and watch the, the players warm up. Uh, so one of the first, we were in the same centenary stand. And uh, the players are kind of doing a lap. They're doing a bit of a run. And Jimmy Traore is at the back of the queue of the lads. And some scouser comes down behind him. He goes, go ahead, Jimmy, lad. I fucking love you, lad. And Jimmy Traore, the shock on his face, he nearly fell over his own feet because he kind of turned around to look as if to say, hold on, did he just shout that as me? Is he being nice? Just, I think sometimes with cult heroes, it's like Eric Meyer was another one, random. You know, it just people t- 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 gravitate towards players that maybe aren't blessed with the, the ability of some of their, their counterparts, but they uh, they give 100%. What about what about you boys? Any any others that me and Gav haven't yeah. mentioned? I have two. I have t- Maxi Rodriguez. Like, like, he still like his name still belted out around the ground every every match day, like in the park, in the sand, and in the cup. The Maxi Rodriguez always gets bringing up the round, and he was a great player and saw before his time. I think 
Rogers just got rid of him straight away, and I think he probably had another couple of years in him. He was a great, he was a brilliant player, a very solid player, and I think he went through that week of just scoring hat tricks. Remember, he just kept scoring hat tricks. He yeah. scored two hat tricks in a row. Uh, Birmingham, home, Fulham away. Yeah, Doak out is another one. Uh, let's be honest, when you look at that team, it was bleach. Like it was crap before Suarez kind of arrived. But Kelt was, Kelt was always like the sideshow to. Suarez, uh, Gerard and Torres, and he banged in goals. And he banged, he scored some really big goals. He scores goals in Champions League semis. He scores the final, the, the, the last penalty to send us to Athens. He's very good in the final. Um, he's good in the final at, um, in Athens as well. Kelt is a great player, a very good player, a great goal scorer. And he, the hat trick against United, again, looked, looked upon so fondly. With the by the fans and the biggest the biggest cult hero is a Like there's not there's no there's no getting away from it now. Uh, it's not even recency boys. It's mental. The fella was put on this earth to to annoy everything. Like that <laughs> the fella the fella was born to annoy everything. Like, like we're steamrolling the league and winning 20, 16 games in a row and <laughs> it's coming up to Christmas and Klopp plays the second string against Everton at home <laughs> and everyone's going what's going on here all the big boys left on the bench I think only Mane plays and he, he, he just bangs two out of nowhere like that the one off the bar the goal and he, he scores the goal in Madrid and literally celebrates like he's out Playing football out the back with his little brother. Newcastle like, away. There's never been a fella. Yeah, big head of that. Newcastle yeah. away, Dortmund away, Dortmund at home. To get us back he, the and he, but Gav, he, the thing is with that that season, he was actually a linchpin in the side, and then he got broke up, and he never yeah. really, he never really got back into the team after that. Ahead of, um, he was being picked ahead storage. of storage at the time. Yeah, because yeah, he was banging in goals. He was white hot. Like he was banging in goals and. <laughs> Just he never really, but he has his moments now, and he has his legacy. And although we probably should have sold him last year, Arigi will be, and his when he leaves that Saturday night song will be sung all over Anfield in the park. And that's what it's about. What you leave behind you. So many players will move on. Like people calling Sarko a cult hero. That fucker was on loan with us, and he was celebrating on the bench with Benteke. So he's a scumbag as far as I'm concerned. He's up there with the juice for me. Fuck him. But Origi, like, you couldn't, if you look up cold hair on the dictionary, there's a picture of him. The fella literally just looks like he gets out of bed every time he goes to play football. He just he just saunters around the gaff. And when you read the, if you haven't, Google the passage in Milner's book about Origi. It's the funniest thing you'll ever read. Milner said you'd be going on a European trip and you turn around and you look at the plane seat and there'd be a brand new pair of Beats headphones and a thousand euro iPhone just left on the seat. And you'd say, that's Devox. And he'd be halfway across the runway and say, Devox, you found that. And he'd be like, ah, yeah. He just floats. <laughs> just fl- he just floats. It's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. 
Right, lads. Uh, we're at half 11. I'm going to tell you the truth, right? My missus is due home from a night out at any minute now, and she hasn't got her keys. So I'm expecting to get uh, the old shepherd's hook. So uh, we're going to we're gonna wrap it up there. Um, before we wrap it up, um, as always, big thank you to, to Gav, Shawnee, and Mick for your time. A uh, big thank you to everybody in the chat. Quick, uh, quick favor, if you don't mind, if you can, just like the video um, or, or leave us your comments below the video. Let us know your top fives. Um, if you don't know, basically any like of a video or any comments or any engagement you make with the videos, it basically puts our content in front of new viewers. So when you hear us ask about liking the shows um, or leaving your comments, it's, it's because it does help spread the word for the podcast. So if you wouldn't mind, press a like before you go. Let us know your thoughts on your show. All the feedback is absolutely welcome. Good, bad or different. Um, let us know. And um, Before we go, Gav, what have we got coming up in the next few days what day is it? Wednesday. Uh, Wednesday um tomorrow Grizz and carnage and transfer agendas and loads of names transfer names so that'll be an absolute cracker friday night is chris and he's looking at he's getting you over and he's just getting you over the hump of all the bad stuff he's looking at the run to the final of the europa in 2016 and then he said he <laughs> promises he's going to get onto the good stuff at some stage um <laughs> And Sunday is the Fatback 4. We don't know what we're doing on the Fatback 4, but we will come up with something. Last thing, um, what Jamie said, like, share, subscribe. That's all we ask you to do. The Sienna stuff is the most important, though. Go to lfcdt.com forward slash Sienna, and you will see every way you can support that girl. And also, every 1,000 subscribers we get between now and 20,000, we will donate 100 euros to Sienna's fund. So if you get us to 20,000, we owe her a grant. That's how it works. So make sure you go and subscribe, spread the word, and every subscriber, every time you subscribe, you're adding to Sienna's fund. That's the only way we can put it. Fantastic. Mick, before we go, mate, uh, tell everybody a little bit about the tactical times and, yeah. and where they can find you. And make sure you shout it, mate, so everyone can hear you. Ah, so, <laughs> you, know, you probably, I don't know if you follow me on Twitter. I've been doing this for a couple of years. I started this website two years ago. Um, detailed player analysis for most of it, because there's a lot of shallow, you know, football stuff, not just on Twitter, but also on TV. There's a lot of bad uh, hot takes hot takes is the word you're looking for there me so what i wanted to do is give a little bit more details this is what i've been doing for two years Uh, a few weeks ago some of you might know i sort of went dived into it a bit more full time so there's a lot more work going on there's a lot on the website currently if you're interested in that side of football if you want to learn a bit more i've got you know i recently did one on tiago and his that 45 minute spell against chelsea not just he was fucking great, but why? How is he? How is he moving people around? How is he operating? How does a world class midfielder do that? One on Diogo Jota, the movement people say he's a great mover, but what does that mean? What does that actually look like? It's that kind of thing. There's a number of them. Rashford, I've done Traore, I've done a couple of players in Syria. There's a lot of different things on the site. Um, if you check that out, you can subscribe for the more detailed ones. But there's a lot of stuff on there for free as well. You can look at that on tactical-times.com or. Check me out on, on Twitter, tactical underscore times. There's a lot of stuff posted there. DMs are always open if you want more information. I appreciate any of that interaction and I really appreciate the support. So that would... Good stuff, mate. Love um, it. Uh, fair good play. Stuff. Best of luck with it, mate. And, and I can certainly vouch I've, I've followed Mick for a while and his, uh, his content is top notch. So make sure you do go check it out. Now, with that, lads, as I said, the missus is due to, to uh, knock on the front door at any given that moment. Might be, <laughs> might be Phil wearing the box the head off. Yeah, 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 the <laughs> <laughs> Actually, maybe, maybe I'll stay up here for a bit. Uh, right, with that, I hope you 
<laughs> yeah, peeping through the hole. Yeah, yeah. See. Uh, no, seriously, I hope you've all enjoyed the show. Look after yourselves. Enjoy the rest of your week. If you are a dad, make sure you get your pints in on Father's Day. I know I will be. We'll be back with you again next week on the Midweek Fix. All the best. Sports Social Podcast Network.